love the build-up in my gut beforehand when I come out on the stage, when you hear the 2001 A Space Odyssey. I always loved Elvis. I had a couple of videos. I mean, Elvis 56, Elvis Aloha from Hawaii, Elvis That's The Way It Is, Elvis On Tour, Elvis This, Elvis That. You know, and I couldn't get away from it. I, I love the sideburns today, by the way. You know, um, but I, I, I shaved them off. I grew goatee beards. I tried to get away from it, but I couldn't. When the drummer is backing me on the stage, his eyes are on me. He's not looking at the drums. If I move my hand this way, if I do that, da 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 da, the big finish, the, the brass section, and the crowd are there, and the lights are down, and the band, and they have timpanis, and uh, the crowd starts screaming, and uh, next thing you're out there and you're singing. There's no turning back from then on. <laughs> it's just keep going. Oh, see what you have done. Girl, you made me love you, and now, 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 your loving man is gone. Hear what I say. So that's the opening song, C.C. Ryder. My name is Mark Lean, and I'm 40 years old. Um, I live in Tralee in County Kerry. Um, I'm an entertainer. I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm many different things today, but... Um, Chiefly, I make my living, and I'm probably best known for my tribute to the late, great Elvis Presley. And uh, we're standing outside uh, these musical gates here, which are an exact-scale replica of the gates of Graceland. I guess I've always kind of had visions and followed my dreams, and, uh, you know, I always imagined that I would have an exact-scale replica of the gates of Graceland outside my door. The pillars are 33 bricks high. It's exactly the same as what you'd see outside uh, Elvis Presley's estate in Memphis, Tennessee. And so I love waking up in the morning and uh, having my morning coffee and looking out at these, these musical gates because it screams back to me that I've been successful at a very, very uh, almost unimaginable and intangible career. They were taken exactly from the plans of the, the ones in Graceland, the drawings of the ones in Graceland. I happen to know people in Memphis. There's a great Kerry man. Uh, his name is Silky O'Sullivan. He has a bar up on Beale Street and he had connections to the estate. But it's a beautiful day today, and it's the 16th of August, and of course, uh, you know, I mean, I never met Elvis Presley, but yet I feel this sort of kinship with his spirit. And, um, you know, it seems to me like it's the anniversary of someone I loved or someone I knew, um, because he's, he's, uh, he's enabled me to have so many, so many things in my life and travel to so many places. I met Hollywood stars and sang for them and, and, you know, presidents of the United States and, you know, and they all love Elvis and Elvis seemed to open the door for me, you know. I mean, the minute Bill Clinton saw me, he started laughing and, you know, he said, God damn it, you sure do look the part, son. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember Dick Spring saying to me, he said, well, what are you going to sing for him? And I said, um, how about uh, a little bit of Monica in my life? <laughs> I think he thought that was funny, but I didn't do that, of course. I just sang uh, American Trilogy for, for the president when he came to Ballybunion. Glory, glory, hallelujah. My, my wonderful wife, Linda, is... is um, She's a very understanding woman, to say the least. Um, so we're here in, 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 in my home now, and in our home, and all the downstairs of our house 
is Elvis themed. Um, in here, we have a games room. And um, this is an Elvis pinball machine, and uh, it's kind of cool. It came from uh, it came from the states, and um, the guy that said famously coined the phrase, "Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building." His name was Al Devoren, and he's since deceased. But I brought him to Killarney in two thousand and three, and whenever the ball goes down the chute, you can hear Al Devoren saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building." But sometimes I come in here at night after a gig. And my mind would be still wired up from the show, and I'd uh, pop a, a euro into the slot, and suddenly off we go. <laughs> well, I was born in 1971, and. Um, so when Elvis died and the news rang out around the world that the king of rock and roll had been found dead in his Graceland mansion, I was only six. Um, but I must have picked up on something, on the news. I had this uncle in the meantime, and he was my mother's brother, Pat, and he came and lived with us uh, for a while. And I suppose he was in his late teens, and um, he was her younger brother. And he used to drive a motorbike. And he had a couple of posters he brought with him. And he put them up in my bedroom. A poster of Elvis in the 68 comeback leather up on one wall. Elvis in the white Aloha jumpsuit on another wall. And then on the third wall there was a poster of uh, uh, Fonda and Hopper in Easy Rider. right? And so I was looking at the two boys in the motorbikes. But even more intrigued by this character. And I looked over in the corner of my bedroom and there was this beautiful pioneer music system you know one that stacked up and there was all these beautiful lights in it and then right on top of it was this pink record with Elvis written across it now I would have been about eight and next thing anyway Pat came in and put on you ain't nothing but hand and the bass the sound of the bass just blew me away I loved it the Jordanaire's voice I'll never forget the effect it had on me it was the first high I ever experienced it, it, into a state of ecstasy I would say I went I was lying on the bed listening to this and absolutely ecstatic well they said you was high last well that was just a lie yeah they said you was Then it was the drums. <laughs> and it was just, I was like, wow. You know, the sound, I couldn't get over it. It was like a Tommy gun, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I loved Elvis from there on in. Well, you ain't never caught a rabbit. You ain't no friend of mine. There was, uh, there was some upsets then to come in my young life. Uh, 1979, my father uh, uh, went to prison. He went to Port Leash Prison. Um, he was uh, he he was uh, sympathetic to the um, the struggle and what happened and things like that. And he had his political beliefs and he went into prison for that. Um, he was the head clerk in the post office in Tralee. And um, he, he, one morning he opened a safe and he left them all off with, with all the money uh, for for the uh, for the cause. And uh, he has absolutely no regrets about it. He just that's the way he is. And um, you know he's uh, he's uh, he's a very staunch Irishman. You know he's a very uh, 
he's a very proud Republican. And, um, you know, I love him dearly. He's been very supportive to me in, in, in my mad world and what I do. But it was sad for me as a child um, having to go out to Port Leash Prison and to look at my dad through, um, through mesh wire and not be able to touch him for like five and a half years. So my mother was left raising me and my sister Violet. And there was just two of us there. And, uh, you know, Elvis's dad, like my dad, was locked up in prison. You know, Elvis's father forged a cheque he changed the, the writing from $4 to $40, you know, with an OU in the middle. And, of course, he was caught, and his dad was put in jail. And his mother raised him, you know. Uh, and my mother used to put me on a gold box where we used to keep the coal by the fire uh, at the age of four and asked me to get up and sing. So I can identify with that. Um, but he came from nothing. It was a real rags-to-riches story. There must be lights burning brighter Somewhere. I can even remember the Elvis character taking effect around the age of 10, 11. Um, and by the time I was 12, it was really settling in because at the age of 9, I would have done my first performance uh, as Elvis on stage. I, I, I cut out sideburns out of a chocolate bar wrapper and mixed the Cadbury's chocolate with my saliva and stuck them on the side of my face and went up and sang Blue Suede Shoes and brought the house down. It was the first time I was ever told not to shut up. They wanted more of it. Um, and uh, I remember I sang The Platters, Only You. I sang uh, the song from The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. Um, Deep inside the forest there's a door. And then I sang... Well, it's a one for the money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was just like it was electric, you know, and they loved it. And um, and so at the age of 12, then, when I was making my confirmation, um, I begged my mother for like white shoes. It was, this was a fair statement. You know, I had a navy suit with white shoes. Nobody had white shoes. We all had all browns and all greys and this and that. But nobody came out with like uh, a tea bar under the tie and, and, and cufflinks at 12 and the white shoes. And a, and a pinky ring I was looking for, like, at the age of 12, you know? But I can look back on it and I can see the way my character formed. I have a big collection of Elvis CDs then. And in here I have... Um, there's everything that Elvis ever recorded. Um, all his films, everything. If I need a reference, if someone comes up to me and says, you know, if you're doing a show next week, can you sing... Slice and Send or some strange, obscure song from such and such a movie. I'll look it up and I'll find it. That's my job, if I don't already know it. Um, but I go out of my way to get shirts, flashy shirts and flashy clothes, and, and uh, I'm all the time looking out for them. To me, if the audience pay good money to come in and see me up on the stage performing, then it's my job to, to wear the right gear, to be as fit and as healthy as I can be, and to, to, to try and do justice to the image and memory of Elvis. Um, out here in the hall, then, is where I kind of hang my costumes, and there's various ones. There's the Aloha suit, uh, there's the tiger suit uh, down there, and the peacock suit, all from different eras and different parts of his career. Um, the belt here that I'm holding up is... Uh, is, is real leather and, again, lots of stones and studs and chains and things hanging off it. Elvis really looked the part when he came on stage. This would be about from 1975, uh, the Memphis suit, when he actually came home to Memphis, he wore this suit. Um, he had it in white. Um, and uh, there's the Concho suit and the Cisco Kid suit, and there's all these different names to him, black leather from 1968. There's a record here, uh, That's All Right Mama, um, it's an original mint condition copy of That's Alright Mama and I won it 
um, in a, a competition. It was called um, the 50th anniversary of rock and roll competition. It was held in London. There was 50 Elvises in it, again, or Elvi. And uh, I, I, it was 2004, and I won that. Um, Walked through party in the county jail. The prison band were there, they began to wail. The band was jumping and the drum began to swing. You should have had us knock that jail, but still, let's rock. Everybody, let's rock. I left school at 14. I started drinking heavily, um, and I started off and got into trouble with the law. Um, and whenever I was broke, I could be counted on to sing a few songs and I'd get more money for drink again. You know, I cashed a cheque one time for £40 that wasn't mine and I got caught for that. And I felt that the police were kind of down on me um, because of who my dad was. And, uh, you know, I didn't... I suppose I wasn't as courteous as I could have been to the local Garda corner. You know, I, I had all that kind of going on. And um, then, in 1992, I stopped drinking. I suppose when I, whenever I got into these, these scrapes and trouble, um, it was all drink-related. Do you know what I mean? I don't look at myself today as a person who had badness in him or evil. Do you know? It wasn't like that. I was just up for anything when I had drink in me. If you said to me, I dare you to jump through that plate glass window, I'd do it. Do you know? Totally bonkers. And drink didn't suit me at all. And I used to get epileptic seizures after drink as well, you know, which was kind of worse. But... Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, the last time, I, I, I spent a couple of times inside in jail. Um, uh, I went to uh, St. Patrick's Institution over a fiver. I did six months in jail over a fiver. I remember I was coming from a disco one night, and uh, there was two guys with us, both of them dead uh, since. And uh, one fellow said to the other, he said, do you want to come to a party? And I said, yeah, I will. And we went upstairs into this flat uh, in, uh, in Rock Street in Tralee and then suddenly one of them came up with the idea that we break into this hairdresser's now I'd never broken in anywhere in my life and uh, we went in through this window and he would retrieve us and um, there was £15 inside in the till and so we split it three ways we got a fiver each but one fella, this Dublin fella um, whom obviously I won't name but he kind of lost the plot completely inside there and started wrecking the place and causing a rake of damage and stuff and took licence to do that and it kind of scared me at the time but we came out of there anyway, and uh, a couple of days later, anyway, we were picked up by the guards, and uh, sure, they knew everything, however they knew it, they, they knew what was happening and so on and so forth, but your men had caused an awful lot of damage to, to, to some equipment, uh, expensive equipment inside in this place. And um, so basically, between the jigs and the reels, we were up in front of the, the judge, and I was 17, and he sentenced, uh, he sentenced us to six months in jail, me and the other fella, and uh, he didn't catch the Dublin fella at all. But the, the two Kerry fellas got caught, like. And uh, so we went to St. Patrick's Institution in Dublin, and I spent my 18th birthday inside there. And um, I suppose I used to read the Bible a lot, you know, inside there for kind of solace. Um, but you'd, you'd think I'd have learned my lesson. But when I came out, I still felt hard done by. And uh, I remember the last time I was in prison, I got I once got a month in jail for impersonation, if you believe that. Um, I, I remember my uncle was a candidate in the local elections here, and uh, the, the the people who didn't want to vote would actually throw the their voting slip into the the local Sinn Fein shop, and uh, and and he'd say to me, "Go up and and, and uh, vote for me there." And and I go up and I go into the school and vote, and one guard recognised me, saying I was inside two or three times voting. And so I was up in front of the judge for impersonation. Um, so I got a month in jail for that. The last time I was inside in prison was in 1992. Um, I went into a camping site and uh, I went into this camp that wasn't ours at all and uh, fell asleep, drunk, don't know how I got there. I used to have blackout drinking. 
And uh, when I woke up in the morning, um, I had another fella's trousers on me, um, <laughs> another fella's jeans, and there was a hundred pounds inside in his pocket. And uh, um, I was next thing anyway, a guard arrested me down the town, um, and uh, I was brought up for stealing the hundred pounds. Nothing about the, the pants or anything like that, and being blind drunk. But um, I just pled guilty to the judge, you know. But I knew something. I said to the judge, I said, judge, I said, look, I said, you'll never again see me here. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you won't see me here no more. And I said, a lot of fellas coming up in front of you every week saying they're going to give up drinking, they're going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're going to do this and do that and do the other thing. I said, you'll never again see me here. And he looked at me and he said, I believe you, he said. And uh, he gave me four months in jail for the £100. I left Ireland in 1994. I went to London. Literally, Elvis came to my rescue because when I went to drama school eventually in London, I had no income from anywhere. You know, I'd won this prestigious scholarship to go to drama school, and uh, but I had no, uh, I had no money. So I was literally like, it was like going back to the old mark. I was being forced to jump the tube. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, I didn't have, I didn't have a bob. But then one guy came out with karaoke in a place called Dicey Riley's in London. And he was this Indian guy. And he had the machine. He used to give me 50 quid. So he used to have two gigs for me every week. So that £100 that I got went a long way. It, it, it literally fed me a lot of the time through college and everything. So I went to drama school for three years uh, with that. Uh, I went up as an entertainer first, just regular white shirt and a black trousers, and I would sing a bit of any of the Beatles stuff or anything like that. But when I started doing Elvis, the reaction from the crowd was different. Do you know, it seemed to come up a notch. People really enjoyed it. People would ask me for The Wonder of You and Suspicious Minds and American Trilogy and Return to Sender and all them. And there was no Elvis jumpsuit renting at that stage. It was just karaoke. But there was they used to call me Elvis, you know, the way I used to wear my hair. Um, and I tried to get away from it at drama school, you know. Um, and my teacher said to me, he said, Mark, he said, I've been a teacher at drama for 27 years, and you're either an incredible genius, the best I've seen in many, many years, he said, or you're a mimic. And I can't picture which one you are, but I think you're a mimic, he said. And I said, well, sir, I said, there's a living to be made at that too, you know. And there was. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. I had finished drama school. I decided, well, you know what, I'm going to go to the States. And I went to, to Las Vegas. But I knew what I was like. I was still the compulsive character. <laughs> I had about 500 on me. And the next thing, I went down and I saw this big Elvis machine, you know. It, it was an Elvis-themed slot machine, you know what I mean? Of course, I was drawn in by all the music and the whole lot. Like, and, uh, of course, in no time, I was broke. I remember all I had was a, a cup of coffee, a Snickers bar, and a couple of dimes in my pocket, chinking around. I was thinking, what would I do? And I looked across, and there was the Elvis costume hanging up in the wardrobe, so I put it on, and I walked up the strip, and I stood outside Caesar's Palace, and suddenly these fellas were coming out of nowhere. Hey, Elvis, we take our photograph with you? Sure, sir, for ten bucks. And bam, I had about $350 made in about two hours. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! 
and you know, I, people would come up and they'd give you a couple of bucks to take a photograph and, and, and maybe uh, you'd sing a song for them. You know, what's your favourite Elvis song, honey? And they just say, I just can't help it. I just can't help believing when she sits up soft and gentle with a trace of a misty morning and a promise of tomorrow in her eyes. Welcome to Las Vegas. <laughs> so, you know, it was great. I was able to make a few bucks that way. I just can't help believing when she's lying close beside me and my heart beats with the rhythm of her side. And then about six months later, I came back to Vegas again. And this time I had gotten a, a, a job, you know, for a few bucks singing inside in the bar. There was a place called the Barbary Coast. It's now called Bill Saloon. There was a guy called Big Elvis on this big, the biggest Elvis impersonator you ever saw in your life. Remember, about 40 stone. <laughs> and the music came on. And I saw this fella coming out and he sat down in the throne. He did the whole show sitting in the chair. And he still does it today. And he's a nice guy. Um, but he, he, he's a big man. Jeez, he's big. And, and uh, you know, and I used to come up and do a few songs. Uh, and, and do, of course, a bit, lot of movement and all this kind of crack, you know? And the crowd used to go wild. When it comes to the voice, there's a, there's a fella called Doug Church in Chicago who has Elvis's higher register. There's a guy called Eddie Miles. Uh, he's in Kentucky, and he's probably the best all-round I've seen. And I, you know, without sounding egotistical, I, you know, my own voice at times, I get a good, a good wealth of, you know, out of it. Uh, of, of Elvis sounds and tones but um, have I ever met anyone that sounds exactly like Elvis yet? No Love me tender Love me sweet Never let me go You have made my life complete And I love you so there's thousands of Elvis impersonators and tribute artists and lookalikes and stuff around the place. Um, and a lot of them have this surgery. And I was offered that too. Two producers came from Hollywood to my house here a couple of years ago. It was the whole um, shock doc season. And they wanted to do one on me. They, they had heard me in America uh, at the Elvis Festival. And they wanted to now spend whatever it took to do the cosmetic surgery to make me look like Elvis Presley. And I remember... They were here for two or three days and they were talking away and this and that and it came down to that. That was why they were here. And I remember then my wife got upset. And, uh, you know, I, she said, you know, Mark, she said, I married you. I love you. I love Mark, not Elvis. You know, and, um, and I mean, there was part of me was mad to run off with him, you know, and get it done. Like, But you see, that's, that's she, she grounds me, my wife. She reminds me of who I really am. Now... Uh, on another note, there's a guy here tonight with us, and uh, I'm not sure exactly where he is. If the guys could bring up the house lights, maybe he could stand up and take a, a, a wave to all of you. He was born on the 8th of January, 1935, the exact same day as Elvis Presley. And he's there somewhere. Michael O'Sullivan is his name, and he's been a great friend of mine for a long time. There he is. Have a look at this man. Michael, turn around, give him a wave. To the day... God bless you, Michael. Well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. 
It's down at the end of Lonely Street Heartbreak And if there was one thing Elvis wouldn't have liked, it was to make a godlike character out of him. If Elvis could say something to the world today, he'd say, this is crazy, ease up on it. Because Elvis has to face God as well. At least that's what I believe. Don't get me wrong, Elvis had his faults and failings. Do you know? Um, and he, he, the poor man was driven out of his mind from the different mood swings. And now they know that he had a, a, a twisted colon and different things in, inside in his intestines and stuff. And he found it very hard to digest food and stuff. And then he had this voracious appetite. Um, and, and, and he used to have mad... Uh, that little taste bud that he had, the smallest muscle in the, the whole body, drove Elvis wild because he was like deep-fried peanut butter sandwiches. And I tried all them too. You know, I said to my wife, I'm going to have, uh, you know, this, that and the other. And, of course, whenever I go to Memphis, then it's a... Uh, Y'all want ribs, y'all want this. And of course, I love that about America too, because there's a bit of that side of Elvis in me as well. I could eat it, a 40 ounce steak, like no problem for you. Thank you. I was in Canada in 2002 and 2003, and I was at the World Elvis Festival in Collingwood, it's just outside of Toronto. And you're talking about 75,000 to 80,000 Elvis fans annually coming to this thing. And there's a hundred Elvis impersonators and tributes from all over the world. So they have this thing called the Awesome Street Party. It's a big stage. It's set up on the end of Hare Ontario Street, the longest street in the world. And they come out and they say, Ladies and gentlemen, from Mexico, Elvis. And he'll come out. And then they'll say... Uh, you know, from uh, Chattanooga and from Tennessee and from Las Vegas. Good evening, and ladies and gentlemen. Please put your hands together and welcome to the stage the Emerald Elvis, Mr. Mark Lean. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right. There's a, a, an Indian with a turban uh, from Norway, a fellow called KJL Elvis. Now, this guy is really serious about his Elvis. He had the surgery, you know. And when he smiles, it's like looking at Elvis' smile. But that's what he chooses. Now, me, I'm a bit too Christian for that. But I would play up the Irish accent. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, when I'm back home in Ireland, my mother said to me, Jess, she said, what are you doing uh, impersonating Elvis Presley? And I said, Mother, I have these magic glasses. And whenever I put them on, they turn me into Elvis Presley. And suddenly I'd put on the glasses and I'd say, Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart? Honey, you lied when you said you loved me, but I had no cause to doubt you. But I'd rather go on hearing your lies than to go on leaving without you. Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me? It's, it's wonderful to go there and experience it. And I finished in the same position twice. Fourth. You know, they, they knock it from 100 down to 72. 72 down to 32. And I was still in it. 32 down to 14. I was still in it. 14 down to 7. I was still in it. And then people are buying tickets. 60, 70 dollars a pop. And 6,000, 7,000 people into this big ice rink. And they put wood on all the floor over the ice. And they put down the seats. And the next thing... And it's freezing in there. And, 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 and there's this big, huge stage with Elvis up in it and the band, the expense account show band. I got to know them there. They're looking for different qualities. There's a, there's a guy called Brandon Bennett, and he smiles like Elvis. There, Sean Clush uh, has Elvis's moves down better than anybody. He won't 
do a move in the middle of suspicious minds unless Elvis did it that way. He broke down every single movement of his hand and his leg and every quirp and every raise of the eyebrow and raise of the lip. And To me, that's just a bit too static. I couldn't do that. You know, I've tried it at certain times to bring in the art of that into my performances. But you know what? I'd rather just let the spirit of it flow through me and be real and be fluid. And a lot of people like that about my shows. You know, I sing the songs. I'm not acting like I'm putting it on or trying to be Elvis. You know, someone said uh, the world's a stage. Each must play a part. Fate had me playing in love with you as my sweetheart. Um, I have various trophies there from Elvis festivals and things like that. A lot of them are broken up now and things like that. But I, I have... Uh, I remember one night, actually, when I, when I didn't win the final in 2002, um, when I went over there... I came out of the... Uh, do you remember I was talking um, about the um, the ice skating rink where the final was on? They gave me my trophy, and I came out, and there was an old fella, about 80 years of age, dressed as Elvis Buskin outside in the street, and it was snowy outside. And um, I I gave him the trophy. <laughs> I was so disgusted that I lost, I gave him the trophy. This is called the Blue Hawaii Suite. Again, there's more costumes and plates and, you know, um, Elvis... Memorabilia. There's a shower inside here with uh, Elvis tiles in the shower. And, um, you know, <laughs> you can have an Elvis stay here in this place. <laughs> so this is... Uh, this is my... My, my touring Graceland. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, it's nice. I like it. It's uh, everything you want is here. There's like a fire down there. There's a double sink. There's a cooker. There's a hob. There's a fridge. There's a shower. There's a mirrored ceiling. There's beautiful black uh, Mexican velvet seats. There's a framed copy of a check up here. It says MGN Limited, 50,000. And you've heard about the phone tapping scandals that have been going on lately. Well, MGN stands for Mirror Group Newspaper. Uh, when I was announced as the headlining act of the Rose of Tralee in 2005, I was going to Mass one Sunday morning, and I stopped in Blennerville at the Texaco garage to get the, the newspapers, and facing up at me was a picture that... I, there was a picture made of myself and Van Morrison at one stage, but they cut Van Morrison out of it, and they left me in it, and they kind of pixelated it, the picture to make it look like I was a really shady character. And it says, um, uh, Jail Shame of Rose Star was the headline. Um, that the, the, the star turn at this year's Rose of Tralee uh, was a jailbird who cashed a cheque for £40 and stole a bottle of whiskey and uh, um, uh, did time in jail and all this kind of crack, you know, and tried to put a negative slant on, on, on the esteem, I guess, that the people of Kerry held me in by giving me this tremendous privilege and honour to be the first local man to headline the Rose of Tralee. And um, while there was a certain amount of truth in, in what they wrote about, about the unfortunate mishaps of my alcoholic past, um, I did something about it. Do you know what I mean? I stopped when I was 21, and I haven't looked back since. I'm speaking to you today as a 40-year-old man who's nearly sober for 20 years, by the grace of God, one day at a time. But they, they mentioned my wife as well, who never got as much as a parking ticket in her life, and said, um, you know, uh, his personal life is in ruins. He married, uh, and after two months, the marriage split. And that was wrong, and that was lies, because it cuts straight to the heart and the core of my morality, I think. And uh, I didn't like that at all. Whatever else about reporting and other things. So uh, we took it further, and, um, you know, we were going into the High Court in Dublin. And uh, 
they uh, they turned around and they said, um, okay, they said, look, we'll offer you 20,000 to forget about this. I said, well, that's all right for my solicitor. I said, now, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> you know, I was quoting from Colonel Parker when the Japanese came to Elvis and said, oh, yeah, we give uh, one million to Elvis Blesley. He said, that's all right for me. How much are you going to pay Elvis? So uh, so then they came back to me again and the next thing it was like 30,000. And, uh, and then they said uh, 35,000. And I said to them, look, what was the circulation of the Sunday Mirror? And they said 52,000 copies on a Sunday. And I said, right. I said, it's a euro each. I said, you give me the 50 grand so you can keep the two grand for the paper. And uh, <laughs> and that was it. And it's nothing less. And they settled. And so we came home. And um, and so that was it. So that's that's where that check came from. So that's up on the wall inside the truck here. And so this truck, this beautiful truck, cost me not MGN newspaper paper. <laughs> so thanks to the Sunday Mirror. Now, our next song was a little-known song until a remix in 2003. Here performing a little less conversation and hoping to give the judges something to talk about, please welcome from County Kerry in the Republic of Ireland, Emerald Elvis! I got a phone call in 2006 from the BBC in London and they said, Oh, hello, is this Mark Lean? Are you Emerald Elvis? And I said, Yes. And uh, they proceeded to tell me they were from the BBC and that they were doing a thing called the world's greatest Elvis. And what I didn't realise is that they had searched Japan, they had been to Las Vegas, they'd been to Memphis, they'd been to New Orleans, they'd been down to Florida. The whole world was searched for the best Elvis tributes. And, of course, they came to Tralee County Kerry. <laughs> I sang a little less conversation and, um, you know, I did my best. Um, I got I got through to the final rounds of it, but um, but you know it went on. I would have loved to have gone further on that. And then we were just about to go away, and we were asked if we wanted to do the weakest link. Welcome to the weakest link. The nine people in the studio tonight are Elvis tribute artists. And then she said, she said, Emerald, where are you from? So Emerald, where are you from? And I said, well. My mama originally, but Ireland. And, of course, the audience broke up laughing. Well, my mama originally, but uh, Ireland. <laughs> and she said, um, move to the side, you know, from behind the, 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 um, the counter where we ran some of the questions. So I moved to the side, and she said, you're big in Ireland. And I said, well, ma'am, that's because I'm involved with the BBC. Ireland. But over there, it stands for boy, bacon and cabbage. <laughs> well, and I kept throwing things back at her. And you play the theatres? I do. I perform all over the place. Uh, Where's theaters. the most important place you've performed in Ireland? The Irish National Events Centre. Um, it's the biggest... It's the biggest... Um, this is back into my Irish accent. It's, it's the really? biggest... We it's didn't biggest venue in Southern Ireland. And she was very good. And she asked me to sing... She asked me to sing uh, a song. And I said, well, what do you want to hear? And she what said... Are you sing for me? Anything you want. Love Me Tender? Love me tender, love me sweet, never let me go. I had a scarf around my neck, and, and I walked off the podium straight down over to her and put the scarf around her neck and kissed her. Love you so, love me tender. When I go out on the stage, if I'm doing an important show, I'll always say a prayer to the Lord that, you know, my voice will be... You know, and I would ask the Lord to bless me because he gave me the voice to sing in the first place. Without him, there's no show, you know. And I always include a gospel song, you know, and I always try and praise God that way. Well, I'm tired and so weary But I must I'd always pray for Elvis's soul as well because I know Elvis was a sinner and I know the books have to be balanced and I believe in heaven, hell and purgatory. 
and I'd say a prayer. And I believe my little prayer goes up and actually helps Elvis where he is now. I believe that. I believe if I say, Lord, have mercy on the soul of Elvis Presley. At the moment Elvis died, the good Lord took all these future prayers that were going to be said and took them into consideration and would judge Elvis accordingly. And that's what I believe. So I'd say a little prayer for Elvis before I go out. And then I would say, you know, let, let Elvis' spirit be with me if I was doing an important show. Because when I put on the costume and I go out and I do that, I'm a little bit, you know, more than Mark and less than Elvis, you know. No I personally spoke to the physician who did the autopsy on Elvis Presley's body, and for anybody listening, Elvis is dead. You can bet what you like in the bookies and he can give you two million to one. Elvis is not coming back. He's not in the witness protection program. He's not away in Germany somewhere. And he's not living in Michigan. And he's not looking out at the fans filing past his grave. Elvis loved life too much. And the line shall it down. I mean, I wasn't the worst in the world. Do you know what I mean? Um, I hurt myself more than anyone. I hurt my family. Do you know? But I did something about it. I mean, I could take you to the local graveyard today and there's about 40 or 50 of my friends over there. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I, I, I'm blessed and I'm grateful at the same time to God. I suppose um, redeemed by God and redeemed by Elvis. <laughs> there will be peace in the valley for me some. I feel this spiritual connection with Elvis. And, um, you know, when I'm 42, which will be in 2013, I will do my last shows as Elvis because Elvis died at 42. He never did it after the age of 42. I thank God for Elvis. You know, first thing I say to God when I go to heaven and I die, where's Elvis? Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Thank you and good night.